invite you at this time to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13, I believe you can find that on page 1140, if you're using a pew Bible, 1140. Going to begin the reading, actually in chapter 12, the last part verse of verse 31, and then we'll read and look at the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians. Corinthians 13. I hope you do not say to yourselves, oh, that passage, oh, that one, oh, the, the wedding passage. This wasn't written for weddings. I've preached it at weddings, but it wasn't written for weddings. It was written for us, for church, for everyday life. These words... And I will show you a a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Thus our reading from God's holy word, may that word, his word, truly be a blessing for us. Congregation, when you get to the topic of church and what it is and what it's supposed to be, maybe we most likely or often view church simply by what we experience how we grew up in church, the church we grew up in. What is the church? It's that thing I grew up in with those kinds of people, those kinds of thoughts and behaviors and actions, with those sort of theological ideas and principles, these sort of moral behaviors and expectations. What is the church? It's that thing I remember back when, or perhaps Right now, what I experience, the church is the thing I experience, the way it worships, the way it thinks, the way it communes and 
interacts. What is the church? Well, it's what I know. It has these kinds of spiritual disciplines, Bible study habits, etc. But if you travel somewhere else, especially if you live somewhere else that's a little different than the community you're used to, you'll discover, oh, they worship different than us. And they value certain theological ideas more than certain ones we value and don't value certain ones we, we value. And if you ask them what is the church, they'll give you a, a different sort of definition out of experience. And what's normal is what I know. So the way we did it is normal, and that's the standard. That's how the Corinthians thought too. What's normal? Do you value spiritual gifts? Do you put a high premium on spiritual gifts? Do you talk about spiritual gifts? Do you rate spiritual gifts? Do you contend with one another on what are the more important spiritual gifts? You don't? What's wrong with you? Aren't, why aren't you normal? What's wrong with you? Don't you, you? You don't have tongue speaking? You don't have the gift of tongues? What is wrong with you? We know what's normal. And you could think about the church too relative to it being a body with many parts. Most of us would like to stay intact. We would prefer not anything to be amputated. <laughs> you know, I, I want both arms. I want my fingers and thumbs. I want my legs and ears and all the rest. I, I want the body intact. But the Corinthians were sort of an attitude of, well, we can do without that. We can do without him. We certainly don't need her. And they thought about themselves as a church that could do without one another. And for them, that was normal. Now, that sets the stage, both back then and even now, for Paul to introduce us to a more excellent way. Not that way, not necessarily our way, but a more excellent way to be church to be Christ's body, to be his people. And so he exhorts us to that. He wants us to see that all together. And, and he's, he's concerned that this excellent way be demonstrated, explained. And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 does as he shows us love's necessity and love's behaviors or characteristics and loves permanence. Now, I don't know about you, but since I preach around and some of your associate pastors do too, they discover churches that are warm and friendly and embracing and loving, and also churches that are offish, standoffish. Thanks, but you can go away now. It's like even common courtesy. What? What's that? Courtesy? And then amp it up to love, love, huh? Are you odd? No, it's 
It's 1 Corinthians 13. Get it off the wedding list back into the church. This is the more excellent way. There's not a church that exists that can't use a lesson to love Jesus, to love one another, to love the lost, and to be a place that exhibits who He is. Now here, as I mentioned, here in the church at Corinth, they needed to be taught about a better way. What is that? Well, let's start with what it isn't. Church and its fellowship and its life is not an extension of high school. Even if it's a good high school. It's not, well, I have my friends and my cliques and my group and we hang and we like and we talk about and, 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 and we're going to keep within our circle and we matter and maybe we don't, we're not rude, but they don't matter. And now we're going to bring high school into church and practice high school, perpetuate high school in church. What? That's not the more excellent way. That's teenish. That's childish. That, sorry, young people, but that's immature. That's not the more excellent way to practice church like we're still in high school and then to perpetuate that. So these people matter and these don't and they're on the end and they're on the outs and they're popular and they're not popular and they get all the credit and people swoon over this one and then not that one and this one matters and that one doesn't. High school. That's not the more excellent way. And certainly it's not the case that we can do without him or her or them. It's not the case that well, because I see, I don't need to hear. Or because I hear, I don't need to smell. Or because I can hear, smell, and see, I don't need to walk anywhere or lift anything. We need everyone. Everyone matters. The blood of Jesus for his church loved that soul, poured out his blood for that soul, that brother, that sister, we can't shoo them off or dismiss them. That's not the more excellent way. That's not the Jesus way. That's not the way of love. So he comes to love here. I'll show you you still a more excellent way. And he starts if I have, and this is, yes, the love, the big agape love you hear about. If I speak in the tongues of men and in angels, well, they had people who did or something akin to it, and that was a big deal. Great. But tongue speaking without interpretation was just gibberish. If I stood up here and spoke German, maybe someone's educated and knows the German tongue or French, or how about Japanese? 
Are you edified? Sorry, I don't get it. And even, you know, Dutch with all of its <clears throat> clearing of the throat and perpetual cold, somehow the language of heaven. Remember that one? What, there, there's colds in heaven? <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw a dart. Even if it was a tongue that was once spoken, maybe some of the elderly might understand some of it, but the youth won't. That wouldn't edify. But even if you spoke in tongues and it was understood without love, it's a big clinging symbol, a gong. That's what he says. I'm a noisy gong or a clinging symbol. Now for the oldsters here, you might remember an old TV show called The Gong Show. The Gong Show was about America has talent when it was displaying the talent America didn't have. <laughs> and so the way the show worked is untalented people would get up on stage, perform an act, and the judges, if they couldn't stand the act, it was more than they could take, they would stand up and there was a big gong on stage, and they would hit the gong, and to be gonged meant you had to stop, get off the stage, you stink. Speaking in the tongue, even of angels, but without love. It's a gong, get off the stage. He continues on this theme. He talks about prophetic powers. You have a number of preachers in this church, gifted uh, men, and understanding mysteries of the faith and the meaning of the cross and the fulfillment of prophecy, and you have all knowledge, and you have faith, even mustard seed, little dab will do you. Faith is strong enough to move mountains, a mountain-moving faith, all swell, all uh, a blessing for the church, that's all great. But if, you, it's, if it's exercised without love, I'm nothing. Paul had those gifts. He could speak in tongues, but he kept it private. Paul uh, had prophetic powers and mystery, knowledge, and faith. Man, a man who ventured in faith. Had it all, but he knew if it's without love for Christ, love for his people, love for the lost, Nothing. Lesson for the church. It's really important we get this and not think about 1 Corinthians 13 as a nice syrupy sweet time that we hear at weddings and there. I'm glad that's over. This is a call for how we ought to be church. For every church to be church. It's not an option. It's not, you know, the periphery. It's not that that love is a gift that you might have or do without. Love is the only way any of the gifts can be properly exercised and administered. Love is the thing that makes the gift you do have and you offer in service. It's what enables that gift to be a blessing through the Lord. Seminary students have to deal with this when they discover they're particularly gifted at something, and then you know, they start getting a little swollen, or they get some extra initials behind their name, and 
a little more swelling comes to the head and the heart. And maybe the gift is evident and clear and obvious, a charm, a charisma, and even more swelling of heart and mind, and the love is shrinking. But the people like what they see. Now they're no, no longer venturing in faith, hope, and love, but just venturing in human strength. See, without love, it doesn't add up. It doesn't succeed. You have to feel sorry for preachers. So you have one. Pray for him. Because he has to exercise his gifts public every Sunday. He has to be evaluated every Sunday. He has to be scrutinized. It's inevitable. Every, every time he's out here, anyone who stands here is under scrutiny. They need your love. They need to proclaim and preach and teach and pastor in love, and they need your love to bear with them as his love bears with you. And we move forward, the whole body of Christ needing one another so that we can go forward. We can be blessed. The Lord's pleased to bless us this way. We don't want a gong show Christianity. Get off the stage. We need love. And that's what Paul teaches us here. The more excellent way if I give all... If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. When I was in my teens and my 20s, it seems like I thought about dying for the faith a lot. I don't know why, but I did. Ready to die for Jesus, you know, youthful zeal. Now the evil world out there, Psalm 69, they're out to get us. Well, I'm ready to die. Well, here's the thing. Jesus wasn't calling me to die for him. As such, he was calling me to live for him. And maybe that's harder. That's all the time every day. Certainly you die to your sins, but to physically die for Jesus maybe won't happen. Maybe it can happen, but you're not really ready to die for Jesus if you're not ready to live for Jesus. And to live for Jesus is the more excellent way of loving church members, loving the one that maybe you already have a grudge against, loving the one you usually snub, loving the one who is harder to love, loving, loving your neighbor, loving your co-worker, loving your in-law, loving your sister, your brother. It's the more excellent way. You know, the rich young ruler was told, sell all you have, give to the poor, and follow me. And you remember, he went away sad. But here's the thing. Suppose he did sell all that he had and came to follow Jesus. Without love, he'd still be sad. And that's true for us, too. Some of us find the Christian life a burden, a misery, 
rules and principles and can't do this and can't do that. Well, how about I follow Jesus because he loves me. I know he loves me. He accepts me. He accepts us. He accepts people I don't accept very easily in the church. And I love him and them. Onward, Christian soldier. How very much we need this love of God, this love of Jesus to be a loving church. Now, all of this spills out into a character, a set of behaviors. We've all heard this, you know, love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or, or angry or resentful. It, it doesn't rejoice in, in wrongdoing. Yay! No, 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 no. But rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Wow. It's quite a bundle what love is, these behaviors. You start to parse that out. When I was a young pastor, I had a, a series of sermons on 1 Corinthians 13. If I remember, it was six sermons, and four of the sermons were spent on that chunk of verses there, you know, parsing it all out. Well, we're, we're going to have a streamlined version tonight. Ask yourself a simple question to start to get at it, though. Love is patient, but then, okay. What are you impatient about? With whom are you impatient? What circumstances make you impatient when you start analyzing that and you probably know exactly the answer to those questions, then you know where you're coming up empty in the love department. Because love is patient. My husband won't change. Yeah, he's a big piece of work, all right. You better call the pastor. <laughs> My wife makes this marriage difficult. Maybe so. Are you patient? How, how long should God's patience be with you? Who, who here would say, you know, I could take God to just really shrink down his patience toward me because I, I don't need much of his patience. Really? In fact, God's love, he could just shrink his love all down you know, fill it into a cup because, you know, I don't need a lot of love. Really? Every neighbor, the Christian in front of you, behind you, at your side, across the aisles and so forth, what every one of us need most from God is the love of God in Christ Jesus. We can't do with one little dose left, less. What we need from one another is love and care, and prayer, and concern, and patience with one another, where we inevitably rub each other somewhat the wrong way. Love doesn't envy. Envy is an ugly, and oh, I skipped. It's kind. Isn't it pitiful when an unbeliever is kinder than a believer? I've met people like that. Now, if you cross them, they're meaner. But even without Jesus, they're kinder. What? 
has the church lost its way in just being kind? The better way, the more excellent way of love. And then envy, you know, is far worse than jealousy. Jealousy might be, I wish I had what they had. Envy is, I wish they didn't have it. Here's a person with a great gift. You wish you had that gift. You don't have the gift. You're jealous. Not a great thing, but envy is, I hope they lose the gift. I hope they choke on their gift. I hope it all goes sideways. That's not the more excellent way. Love doesn't envy. But it rejoices. It's not arrogant. It's not smug and proud. It's not a, a case of, you know, the world is so rotten. And I, I'm so tired of it. I'm so exhausted with how our society gets all twisted and calls good evil and evil good. Good riddance. And now we matter. We're... we're we're the savable, we're the electable, we're the delectable, we're the delightful, we're the deserving, and now grace doesn't mean grace anymore. That's not the way of love. Neighbors lost in their sins need mercy. People lost in their brokenness need grace and help, they need rescue. They need the power of the Spirit to change their hearts. They don't need a conceited church looking down its nose at them. They need a church that loves because it knows it's loved. And where would we be without patience and kindness and the beautiful love of God for us? Not a God irritable, resentful, keeping score. Not a God who who bears grudges. The more excellent way is it's not irritable. It's not easily angered or resentful. It doesn't look, to be sure, we grieve in our heart at what we see in our culture, the waywardness, the, 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 the thumbing of a cultural's nose at God and his ways. We understand the wrath of God is poured out on such things. All the more, under wrath, children of wrath, but God, give us mercy. Isn't that what you need? Some of you sitting here probably had a time in your life where you were the wretched soul that needed mercy. And you got mercy. And so we see a passage like this, familiar to us. Love rejoices with the truth. And then this trio here, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, even more, endures all things. We've known a mother's love that never gives up on a child. The church has given up on the child, perhaps. Members have given up on the wayward soul. Family members are disgusted and want their hands washed of this person. And there's a mother's forbearing, patient, enduring love, bearing all things, believing God can still do it, hoping God will do it, endures, endures, endures. That's God's love. That's the love we're called to. 
Maybe there's people in this church who have such a wayward son or daughter. Their heart aches and hurts every day. They pray every day. Because love endures. Love doesn't give up. It hopes. That's what we're all called to. We're called to be what Jesus is to us. Not to be arrogant about gifts and, and qualities we have. No, net, love never ends. And then that shows us its permanence. Never ends. There's all kinds of things that are going to end. Preaching and sermons are going to end. When will this one end? <laughs> all kinds of things are going to end. Theology books are going to end. The seminarians will love that day. Big fat study Bibles will come to an end. Bible studies and these kinds of things. Prophecies, they'll pass away. Tongues, they'll cease. Knowledge, it will pass away. Oh, wow. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. We're, we, we talk big, we act big, but we only know in part we're small. He likens it as seen through a mirror dimly or a reflection off a mirror and you don't quite get it exactly. Good enough. Be small. Be humble. You're only a creature. You're saved by grace. No arrogance. It's not prideful. Love is humble. Ah. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And that's why he illustrates it with being a child, because childhood is temporary. Childhood is meant to pass away. Now, for you older people, the children already understand this, but think back to your childhood. You're seven years old. It's a Saturday. You wake up, and you're thinking about what? Well, I got to help mom with the taxes. That's coming up. And dad has to pay those bills. And that lawn needs to be mowed. And there's, need, there's weeding that needs to be done. And when you're a child, you're not thinking about that. You know what you're thinking about as a child? How can I have fun? What toys can I play with? What cartoon can I watch? Or video game or whatever your parents will let you deal with there or something like that. You're thinking about, how can I entertain myself? You're a child. You think like a child. You act like a child. It's childish. Fine. You're a child, but not when you're mature. And so, yeah, I would wake up when I was seven years old and go outside and throw rocks in the vacant lot and dig holes and catch lizards. I lived in the Southwest and really cool, important kid stuff, see? Brother Ken here grew up in Iowa. It was all about farm animals and butchering stuff and <laughs> helping out. It was all about corn and, and big machines <laughs> roaring, something like that. And sports. <laughs> you thought like a child because that's what you were. But childhood's great, but it, 
It's temporary. Look, we're on our way to glory. And the path to glory is the path of faith, hope, and love. The path to glory is looking in faith to our Savior, hoping for kingdom come in that same faith while you live and walk a path of love in service to the Lord, the more excellent way, the excellent Savior, the excellent truth, the excellent word, the excellent hope, the excellent faith. But understand this. God doesn't need faith. God doesn't need hope. He doesn't have to hope. I hope the kingdom will come. But God is love. He is that. And now the more excellent way for his church. This way. The way of love. The way of Christ. The way of a God who so loved an unloving world and gave his son. A love that wasn't stingy. A love that's immeasurable. A love that wasn't rude and haughty and conceited. A love that's self-giving and humble. And he calls us to the abundance and the beauty of a life that loves back. Not perpetuating high school and church, but perpetuating and displaying and cultivating Jesus and his love in our hearts and for one another and for the lost. That way. The way of victory. Three abide, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these. Never doubt it. Is love. Amen. Lord, bless us with your word. Bless us with the love with which you love us. Motivate us by your love. Move us by it. May it be our inspiration. Comfort us in the knowledge that your love will endure. It will not give up. It will be steadfast and sure. It will see us to our final resting place. It will see us to the victory that's Jesus Christ. Along the way of our faith and our hope in you, may we practice a love that is evident to all, gives glory to you, finds the lost as we're found by you in your love and mercy. Hear our prayer, O Lord, for we pray it all in Jesus' name.